This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And Ben, that is the sound of excitement building for Campaign 2017. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's June and um, we're not that far from the September primaries and the November general election. And uh, candidates have been raising funds and ballot petitioning starts soon, which is sort of this underbelly of campaigning where you have to get lots of signatures to get your name on the ballot. Uh, so, so things are going to get, uh, you know, things are going to heat up here. They already are. Uh, lots of races on the ballot. What, what races are you watching here in the early going? I'm particularly interested in the Brooklyn District Attorney's race. I mean, the DA races in general, you know, their positions, they have so much power. They're so important to the key issues that we, so much of our politics revolves around crime and punishment, incarceration and race. Um, but they get very little attention, and the people in those offices tend to stick around forever. I mean, Morgan Thau was there for like two, two or three hundred years. Uh, obviously, Judge Brown's been there for a while. Robert Johnson, the Bronx, was there for a good time. In this case, we have a relatively quick turnover. You know, um, Charles Hines was ousted by Ken Thompson in 2013, and D.A. Thompson passed away, and now there's a race to replace him, uh, featuring six candidates, including his kind of uh, deputized successor. Eric Gonzalez, um, and it's an interesting race because people are, are kind of taking different approaches to whether they're laying claim to Ken Thompson's reputation as a reformer. Some people question that reputation, um, but it's obviously very much about a lot of the themes that have been driving the criminal justice conversation in the city. So DA's race in Brooklyn is one for me. What's, what's the and, and that's going to be one that's like many of these, the Democratic primary is basically it. Is it? Is that, I'm not even sure, and, and I'll betray my ignorance here, that there is even a known Republican. I don't think there is the at, this point. at this point. But there it's, it's often is somebody, but right. it's nominal, and and many of these races, especially in in most of Brooklyn and, and a Brooklyn wide race, is going to be the Democratic primary. Definitely. So that is yeah. the race right there. Yeah. So that's my top one. What's what's on the docket for you? Um, I don't know if I have a top one exactly, but we're definitely watching the quote-unquote open city council seats where the current council member is term limited out. So you have a free-for-all. That's only eight seats at this point, seven seats where the council member is term limited out. And then we got some breaking news before we're having this conversation that council member Jalissa Ferreras Copeland is not going to seek re-election. That has a lot of implications for the city council speaker race, but that's for a later date. But there's about eight seats where the incumbent, the current office holder, is not going to seek re-election or can't. Um, so we're watching those because those become six, seven, eight, nine candidate deep races. And again, the Democratic primary pretty much always decides those. And a number of races that are not open, but where incumbent council members might be vulnerable. I mean, it's hard to say at this point, but names thrown around are like Margaret Chin. Um, Lori Cumbo in Brooklyn is facing a tough challenge from Eddie uh, Fox, who she narrowly defeated in 2013. So, yeah, I'd say probably between four and eight uh, incumbents who are seeking re-election who will have legitimate, tough uh, fights on their hands. Especially because in what is expected to be a low turnout primary, you could win a city council seat with 4,000 votes, 3,000 votes, even 2,600, 2,700. So yeah. if you can bring out your people, uh, you can get it done. And there's so much always, you know, there's so much going on in these city council districts, such local concerns, that if there's, if there's an active enough group of people who are very upset about a homeless shelter or, you know, some other land use item, whatever it might be, a rezoning, 
you could be in trouble if you've made a decision that enough people are upset about in your district. They'll just vote for whoever else is on the ballot. You know? On the other hand, we have a couple citywide races before we get to the big citywide race that are a little more quiet at this point than any of those city council contests. Those are the fights for the contest for a comptroller and public advocate. What do you think, find interesting about those races, if anything? Well, there's not going to be primary fights in those races, it doesn't look like. So really looking forward to the general election and the controller and public advocate races. You know, there's very little chance that either of the Democratic incumbents loses. But I think, you know, sort of a, a, a philosophical push maybe in the controller's race. I think in both races, it's also going to be very fascinating how Bill de Blasio comes into the picture, right? Both controller and public advocate are these positions where you're supposed to be holding the mayor and the mayoral administration accountable. And Scott Stringer has done a lot of that. Tis James has done some of that, but she's a big de Blasio ally. But even in the controller's race with Stringer, his Republican opponent is already talking about how Stringer hasn't done enough of that with de Blasio. So it's going to be sort of, that's going to be an interesting theme. Right. And obviously, to some extent, will be viewed accurately or not as a test of strength for two candidates who are seen as potential mayoral fodder, sure. uh, mayoral uh, material come to 2021. Yep. But let's talk about de Blasio and the mayor's race. Um, is he vulnerable at all at this stage? I mean, I want to say no, but who the heck knows? I mean, you know, one thing I want to look at really is what does that map look like for him to possibly lose? And it's only really possible in the general election, I think. I mean, at this point, him losing in a primary with all the union support he has and the elected official support he has, it's just really hard to see. But is there a map, a New York City map, where he loses in the general? It's probably a tough sell, but there might be the votes out there. I mean, in, in sort of the Donald Trump world that you just sort of never say never and New York, New York City is very different than cobbling together the Electoral College but but still you know his his poll numbers among white New Yorkers have improved a little but they're very low um, and turnout is always a huge question what, what do you think any I mean I think barring some what do they call it deus ex machina like some big event that utterly yeah. upsets things some you know horrible crime spree this summer some ethical lapse by him or someone close to him something that absolutely changes the game I think is what would be required because right now I mean I think I looked up his latest numbers in the Q poll it's like 60% approval um, you know trashes all the candidates against him you know obviously it's an early stage in the race but that's still somewhat significant so it's interesting because he was a guy who who does not seem beloved um, and yet isn't as vulnerable as we expected he might he might be, you know, given mm -hmm. where we were a year or two ago. And I think it's interesting to think about why that is. You know, I think a lot of people put a lot of strategic weight on the potential for an indictment mm -hmm. that kind of froze the playing field for a number of months. And when that went away, the rationale for challenging him kind of went away. Um, and also the fact that he has, you know, while we have faulted him on a lot of things at city limits, he's been a reasonably effective mayor. You know, he has... Um, reduce some police enforcement, but crime has continued to be relatively low. The economy is humming along. The city's done some responsible, progressive things like pre-K and ferry service and stuff like that. So while he has not endeared everyone to him, he hasn't made big enough mistakes um, to get people uh, totally fired up about ousting him. I would generally agree with that. You know, one of the things I now often say about the mayor is sort of you can look now at three plus years and say. In a lot of ways, he has indeed refocused city government on the mission that he promised he would bring to it. 
Now he's had some problems with ethics. He's had some problems with execution. He doesn't seem to be that excited or good of a manager in some ways, but he's certainly taken a lot of city services and said, we are gonna refocus this on reducing inequality, which is what he said he was gonna do. So he does have a lot to support the argument that he's made the city fairer, more equal, better for a lot of people who were sort of left behind during some of the booming years of, of the past decade. Uh, you know, and he's put a lot of programs in place in part because he's had huge amounts of money to use and he's used it to execute some of this mission. Mm -hmm. There are people unhappy with him from the left who actually think he's too beholden to real estate and that he's actually been too cozy with the police, even though you, you know, hear people on the right say he's, you know, too much of a reformer. But, um, you know, so there's, there's people who say he hasn't gone far enough on the left but you absolutely can look at his record and say, wow, he's put a lot of money and a lot of programs into place that he sort of promised he would. And there's also a, a boy who cried wolf phenomenon of people who talked about the city as being disastrously managed, the quality of life was disappearing, crime was rampant. It wasn't true when they said it and it hasn't really developed and I feel that that sort of, that line against de Blasio has lost its sting just because it really hasn't come to fruition. But he does have challengers uh, on the Democratic side, former council member Sal Albanese, uh, running for mayor for, I think, the fourth time, and criminal justice reform advocate uh, Robert Ganji. Um, interesting. Sal would say, by the way, it's really his third time because two thousand one time he count. didn't right, go okay. So we'll give him a three times. But Sal, Albanese, and, and Bob Ganji. You know, what's, what's the case that either of them are, are making against de Blasio? I mean, I think Sal Albanese is first and foremost, well, he's actually started to pick up the transit theme because that is turning out like it's going to actually be a big campaign item you could argue it actually is should be more of a issue for the 2018 gubernatorial race and governor cuomo but it's going to be part of this discussion because of the state of the subways and and even the buses and and the city's transportation network it's going to be part of the discussion this year so sal albanese has sort of started to really focus in on that and he actually has a sketch of a campaign agenda on transit on his website, which is fairly interesting. But he's also about political reform. He's trying to make that an issue. Once these indictments went away, it's going to be a little bit of a harder sell. But he has, you know, a campaign finance proposal um, that goes even much further than the city's system. Um, you know, so he's going to try to make it about de Blasio's management, about de Blasio's ethics. Uh, and we know what Ganji's mostly going to focus on. Yeah, I mean, looking at their platforms, you know, um, Ganji's is just, there's a very clear uh, purpose behind it. It, it truly is a, a, a real leftist challenge to de Blasioism. Uh, it talks about desegregating schools, something de Blasio has shown no ap uh, appetite for. Um, obviously, you know, much more aggressive criminal justice reform, including closing records within a year. Some of it probably unrealistic, but a very clear alternative to de Blasio, probably one that's not going to succeed, but very clear. Albanese, his, as you said, his critique is mainly around issues of reform. He clearly personally dislikes the mayor. That yes. comes through in his tweets and has for three oh, yes. years now. Um, and that seems to be more, if, if you could put those two canons together, right, then you'd have something. Because Albanese, Bay Ridge progressive, guy who could speak to blue collar audiences, but still you know, toe a very principled progressive line, if you were to, if you were to double down on that and pair it with the real strong ideological critique, that would be an interesting challenge right. to the blind. I don't know if any one person can really do that, right? right. Because you're sort of talking about different uh, sort of aisles in that in that same Democratic uh, supermarket, but um, 
But that's a very good point, and I think that, you know, Ganji is almost sort of, you know, running as de Blasio's sort of true self, right? Like a real leftist, progressive reformer, uh, almost bordering on sort of socialist type, you know, discussion where de Blasio may really be in his heart of hearts, but you can't necessarily come in and manage New York City that way and, and be revolutionary like that. Right. Ganji has James Baldwin quoted on his website, yeah. but de Blasio has him on his bookshelf. <laughs> there you go. Um, well said. And the Republican so, side is Well, real quick, well, yeah. yeah, just one more on the Democratic side. I mean, I think one of the biggest, we did an article on this, you know, one of the biggest things to watch is if these guys actually raise and spend enough money to for there to be democratic, formal democratic debates. Yes, that's Because those can really influence the discussion and, you know, there's lots of media buzz if, if right. you know, they're going to And there's the potential for a mistake, right? For right. some, for de Blasio, the guy who has everything to lose to, to screw up right. um, on live television. And that is one of those things that can change the dynamic of a race. Yeah. Um, so that is interesting. With Bill de Blasio, that's very unlikely, but... If Bob Ganji is on one side hitting him on not being progressive enough and Sal Albanese is on the other side just basically saying you're a terrible person and a terrible manager and terrible for New York, eh, it's maybe, you know. Because he's too tall to hide behind the podium, <laughs> right. so that's not an out. So Republic, on the Republican side, what's your sort of early assessment? That that GOP mayoral primary is going to be a dogfight. I think it really is. Interesting. Massey has raised more money than de Blasio, but spent it like crazy. I think he's raised $300,000 more than the mayor. But the mayor has like four times as right. much money on hand, um, so he's got the dough. He's had to build his name recognition from none from, to well, right, none. right. And I think Molly Takas is is in a similar boat. Um, she's gotten some notoriety from you know being out on the IDNYC issue and others mm. before she declared as as mayoral. I mean, clearly it is. Uh, it can be depicted as a clash between you know more of the sort of. Bloomberg-y business um, aisle of the Republican supermarket, mm-hmm. to use your metaphor, versus, I wouldn't call it, say, Trumpian necessarily, but maybe a Giuliani-esque, sort yeah. of Outerborough, white ethnic, um, you know, urban conservative approach that, uh, that Nicole uh, is offering. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right, and I think that, you know, Massey has even shied away from calling himself a Republican. I mean, he calls himself an independent-minded businessman on his, you know, in all of the, the bottom of all of his emails. You know, that's sort of how he's described by his campaign. Um, he wants the GOP nomination. He's gotten the Independence Party line. Malayotakis has gotten the conservative. I mean, that's all you need to know right there, right? You know, Massey got the Independence Party line. Malayotakis has gotten the Conservative Party line. They've started to split county party endorsements, which are fairly important in a primary that's going to be decided, you know, by a very small number of votes on the Republican side. Um, and she is walking a very interesting line because I think, you know, she's trying to balance, can I win this primary? You know, how far right do I need to be? Because I think she's pretty far right, even though she can sort of, you know, move around a little bit ideologically. Um, but almost with also an eye that there's no chance you can win a general election being very far to the right. He's got the more general election approach, but I don't know if he can get out of the primary with it. Right, and you see that on her uh, website, her policy platform for immigration. You know, she is obviously comes to the race known as a hardliner on the issue, not especially open to providing city benefits to undocumented people. But the first thing she talks about on her position uh, paper there is about the fact that she supports comprehensive immigration reform because we shouldn't have people living in shadows, which is you know a way of saying that we should fix the system so we don't have to choose between you know assisting undocumented people and respecting the other values she thinks are are important. So, you know. which is a bit of a cop out because 
you've got however many undocumented immigrants here, you know, I mean, and, and you have to sort of manage the city with taking that into account. Right, right. And so what are you doing? You know, what are, what, what's your, what's your proposal on how and, to and treat those people? The tough thing for her and Massey is that, you know, the, the policy vulnerabilities that de Blasio has, you've named two of them, is the homelessness yes. and the fact that he has not he has not mastered the schools issue the way that, De, that Bloomberg did. Bloomberg mm -hmm. made a lot of mistakes in the schools, had a lot of enemies, but he clearly was engaged in that issue. De Blasio, for a lot of legitimate reasons, has not had the kind of day-to-day -day involvement. Mm -hmm. And so you can look at the numbers from the, the school the renewal schools and others and say, you know, they, they aren't improving fast enough. Um, there's not the attention to detail that Bloomberg had. But so they can size up those issues, but then what you do about it is difficult. You know, Massey has said you have to create supportive housing for all the homeless people, which of course would be massively expensive and probably inappropriate in some cases. Um, Aliataka says we have to get at the root problem of homelessness, which is of course something I think we'd all support. Mm -hmm. um, and on schools, you know, Massey you know, teased that up, but then goes right into, into vouchers, which you know, is political death in New York for good right. reason. So I think they have a problem in that there are vulnerabilities there, but they are not vulnerabilities that lend themselves to sort of the standard Republican playbook in New York City. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think on education, you know, sort of support for charter schools is such a clear line in the sand between Republicans and the de Blasio Democrats. However, on something like homelessness, I, haven't, I don't think I've heard anybody propose something that the mayor's not already doing. And so that's gonna be hard too is, you know, you can absolutely fault him for that, but what are your ideas that he's not doing? Now, anybody who's an opponent in the primary or the general is going to say he's managed it poorly and you just need a better manager. And Massey's already said that. I'll have a crack squad, you know, evaluate the problem and figure out how we're going to attack it. And, okay, maybe. Maybe they can get their arms around it in a better way. But right now, we're just not really hearing anything policy-wise from almost anybody other than this proposal at the state level to drastically increase rental subsidies, uh, which de Blasio supports, that could really really, you know, turn the tide on, on what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's going to be fascinating to see, you know, what policy proposals are people actually putting out there that could galvanize voters, especially unaffiliated voters in a general election um, and even some Democrats that don't like de Blasio. The, the, other, the other thing that's at play, though, is that anybody going up against him in primary or general is going to hit him on management generally, sort of this laziness critique. We could debate that till the cows come home, but there's stuff there. And New Yorkers, many New Yorkers have it in their mind that he goes to the gym all the time in Park Slope and that he's late to things a lot, which he's largely corrected, although there's been some slippage. Right. That stuff sticks. It sticks, right. right. And if you can sell it well enough, which I think Maliotakis probably can better than Massey from what we've seen, he's just not that sharp and articulate at this point. Um, you know, maybe. Maybe. I mean, the test for all that stuff, right, is, you know, and the Puerto Rican Day Parade is a great example of that. Um, you can make that argument and you will find people who accept it. The question is, are any of those people folks who wouldn't have voted against de Blasio in the first place? You know, if you're upset about Oscar Lopez Rivera being the honoree of the parade, um, that might you know, be a motivating factor for you, but you know, probably you are not going to be supporting Bill de Blasio anyway. Is it enough to get you out of your seat on election day and come out and vote? 
You know, the, that's the big thing. That's the big thing. Is the people who right. You will find people who dislike yeah. de Blasio on any number of counts. Whether it's enough to get them to actually come out and vote against them is, is the tricky thing. Yeah. And obviously candidate viability plays into that too. Um, one thing that I'll tee up just for us to talk about later in the year is, you know, as the weight race wears on and if de Blasio is a lock to be reelected, I think the conversation will turn to what the second term is like. And what's going to be interesting is our previous two mayors were considered uh, material for higher office at mm -hmm. different points in their in their term. You know, Bloomberg a couple times running for president, Giuliani talked in that way, and also as a senatorial candidate. Um, de Blasio doesn't have any clear path like that. So it's very interesting to see how he and his team will frame, assuming they get to that point, uh, what the second term will be like and to make sure he's not, you know, a, a lame duck from, from day one because that is a dynamic that second term mayors uh, can fall into. The others in recent memory have avoided that by having this, you know, theoretical viability for something bigger right. down the road. I think that's a good point. We'll discuss it in the future. I think that he would love, I, I think he thinks he could be president at some point. I think he thinks that his agenda and the stuff that he talks about is the sort of winning formula for Democrats. And he's actually been affirmed on that, both not, not only in his election, but in 2014, 2016. So I think that's on the table. I think he'd love to be a senator first, but of course, Gillibrand or Schumer would have to go somewhere. Not implausible. Mm -hmm. So we can get back to that. The one other thing we should mention if we're talking election and mayoral race is Bo Deedle. Uh, good, good way to finish up our, <laughs> yes. our episode for today. Um, you know, Bo Deedle messed up his paperwork, isn't, doesn't seem like he's going to be able to run as a Democrat or a Republican, but he can run for mayor still uh, as an independent and could make some noise. In, he can definitely make some noise. But in a, in a general election debate, mm -hmm. he could cause some issues. Now, he'd probably take more votes from the Republican candidate. Well, that's it, the right? Yeah, yeah, he splits. At this point, he's an incumbent mayor. So as is typically the case, you're going to have a dynamic where you have people who support de Blasio and people who don't. And Deedle and whoever the Republican nominee is are going to split that. Um, yeah. So the louder he is, uh, might cause for some, as you said, entertaining or uncomfortable moments. Yeah. Uh, might raise some real issues. But in the end, I don't think that really changes de Blasio's math that much. The question on Deedle, I think, I think he's still pursuing the ability to run in the Republican primary, but I think those doors are closing fast. I don't know that he sticks it out. I mean, he has been able to raise a good amount of money, a lot of it from outside of New York City, because he has a network. Um, but, you know, one of the questions is, does he really have the stomach for this if there's no primary for him to run in, he's just sort of railing against de Blasio, and... It just looks like there's not much of a path. Mm -hmm. So that'll be sort of interesting to watch. So we've referred a few times to the looming debates. Mm -hmm. And as typically the case, uh, those debates end with a lightning round of questionable substance. But So let's get prepared, Ben, for when you and I get the call to be a moderator of one of these mayoral debates. Mm -hmm. What is the lightning round question you will ask the mayoral candidates? Well, I love the book question because that throws people off. What was the last book you read? But I think uh, I would like to ask... You know, what do you put on your hot dog? Because you got to have mustard on your hot Definitely. dog. Definitely. And you don't eat it with a fork. No, no fork and knife. I, I would ask uh, of, over the entire history of comic books, which superhero has best protected New York? Ah. And anybody who says Aquaman gets my vote. <laughs>